You are listening to the Evolution Exchange Podcast Australia, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful tech leaders in Australia. I'm Mira. I help connect businesses with tech talent, and today I'm your host. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the Evolution Exchange Podcast. Today, I'm joined by three amazing thought leaders from Sydney to discuss the topic, creating high-performance teams. Before we jump into the discussion, let's meet our panelists. So Dion, if you wouldn't mind kicking things off and introducing yourself, please. Sure. Thanks, Mira. Um, I'm Dion Beetson. I am the Group Engineering Manager at SwiftX and responsible for the platform and SRE teams. Uh, SwiftX is a cryptocurrency exchange uh, based in Brisbane and Sydney, and we focus on bringing the most simplistic customer experience to buying and selling cryptocurrencies. So trying to remove all the complexities out of it. Uh, my background has been in software development and for the last 10 or so years I've been leading software teams really focused around helping organizations scale up their, their teams and also helping um, set up team structures at work as we start to break out into more distributed software architectures as teams scale. And um, as well as that, I've written a book on software leadership called Leading Software Teams with Context Not Control. Amazing. Thanks so much, Dion. And David, if you would like to go next as well. Hi, I'm uh, David Turner. Um, I'm head of engineering at, at Casada. I've been there almost almost two years. Um, Casada is, is a company that that helps helps our customers deal with unwanted bot traffic um, and allow humans to um, basically use the internet and uh, get what get get what they need. Um, I guess for me, I'm I'm quite passionate about um, help helping teams move fast, deliver great products and unblocking anything that, that would, would, would slow the team down. Awesome, thanks so much, David. And last but not least, Alex, if you could introduce yourself as well. Well, thanks, Mira, and uh, hello, everyone. My name is Alex Perifanos. I am head of engineering at Medical Director. I've been there for almost three months. Uh, <laughs> What Medical Director does, it's a, it's a company that tends to uh, help uh, general practitioners, GPs, and uh, everyone into the health sector. We do have a few products. Um, most of our customers are using an on-prem solution, but where I got into play is for transitioning that into the cloud. So we've got this project called Helix, which is pretty much, um, yeah, transitioning all of those features from on-prem to the cloud. And uh, yeah, I'm quite passionate about everything that touches to um, the engineering culture, as well as streamlining the deliveries and the overall scalability and growth of an engineering department. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much for me. Great, thank you, Alex, and thank you, everyone. I think before we jump into everyone's questions and topics, I've actually got a question for everyone. Um, which is, what would everyone say is the features of a high-performing team? That's yeah. a good one. <laughs> you want to <laughs> kick it off, Alex? Yeah, sure. It's interesting because um, I think we sort of in, like instinctively know what they should be, but it raises the question about delimiting the boundaries of what we want, right? Because if we go too far into that game of what is... Um, a self-sufficient team that would be autonomous, we could very well create a whole company <laughs> out of it, right? <laughs> so um, it's interesting. It's probably going to raise things such as, uh, do we need DevOps capability into these teams? Do we need design capabilities into these teams? I would say probably not. Uh, but yeah, it's interesting. Maybe we should uh, fix those, those boundaries as we are answering this question. 
David, yeah. you wanted to say something? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Um, I think it's important to figure out exactly what each each team needs um, to, to work out like what actually allows them to have the autonomy that they need without having to go outside of the team. And in terms of the uh, high-performing, uh, high-performance teams, I think every high-performing team usually has a clear, clear purpose, a clear direction. That purpose generally link, links back to where the, the company wants to go. Um, and I think the most important thing is that the team is actually happy and they're working together and um, they gel well with one another. Yeah, definitely. And Dion, sorry, you had something to say there as well. Yeah, I definitely like what you're saying, David, about team purpose. That is, that is so fundamental. Um, one of the things I've noticed is getting um, getting clarity on what autonomy actually means, because autonomy can mean something very different to an engineering manager, to a developer, to a product manager. So getting that clarity, and then you can really start to define what boundaries each team has to own what level of decision making, so they know yeah, what they've got control over, and also what maybe um, is more of a group-wide decision that um, maybe doesn't rest within the squad. Yeah, thanks for that, everyone. And I guess we'll jump into everyone's questions then. So we'll start things off um, with Dion, your question, actually. So it was approaches to baselining a software's team's maturity before driving performance improvements. Did you want to sort of expand on that before we go into it? Yeah, of course. Uh, it's thanks. definitely a topic that I think probably many of us as leaders have made the mistake in where <laughs> we've come into a new organization and we've gone, oh, wow, I see these problems and I know how to solve them. Uh, and it's um, sometimes quite hard to uh, initially sit back, ask the right questions, engage with the right people to really understand why things are the way they are and, and, and what is that maturity level that exists as a baseline so that we can start to measure things that we want to drive and improve and, and actually measure how well we're doing that. Uh, it's definitely an area that I've, I've failed at a few times, but I think after you fail at it a few times, you definitely realise um, that decisions that we make as leaders have, you don't always see the impact, good or bad, for, yeah. for normally a few months at least or six months. So it is important to really invest the time uh, to, to understand current state. Um, from, my, from my view, there, there is obviously no right or wrong way, wrong way to do it, but uh one of some of the some of the approaches that i've had a bit of success with um they're definitely being around as you come into an organization it's really easy just to go off and talk to just your engineering team just go what do you think where the problems are what are we doing well what are we not doing well what do we want to improve but sometimes that just gives you a really specific perspective perspective um yeah. and i've had a lot of success actually yeah talking to the other peers like what does the product management team think what does the security team think uh what are your, what is the senior leadership team? What is their view? Because then you can start to pull together uh, all the different perspectives and start to start to bring that together in a bit more of a holistic view. Uh, and then from that, from that lens, maybe it's a bit of a cheat, but I'm sure a few people use it <laughs> as well, is that being able to bring your team along that journey and actually involve them in workshops or, or sessions to actually say, what do you want to see improved? How do we want to improve it? Um, it's actually a great way to onboard. Uh, it's a great way to build trust. It's a great way to take other leaders through the through the journey. And and we've often sort of broken those things down into sort of two two themes, like technical measures and uh, and cultural team measures. And you don't want to. You can go off and have four or five hundred of those uh, 
in a team that just doesn't make any sense like uh, we typically had anywhere from like three to five different measures that we feel really strongly about around maybe um do we have automated pipelines from a technical lens do we have infrastructure as code um as a default uh and then from like cultural perspectives that just what we we're talking about before like do teams have end-to-end -end ownership and you sort of need things that you can measure um you can't just have vague 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 um vague measures that that we can't sort of put a measure on that that is hard to understand if we are succeeding or not uh but um definitely can you hear, hear the views of the group i guess yeah. i just to summarize <laughs> i was gonna say like whenever no, that's people... great yeah sorry you go no i think I d david's burning to have some say here <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah I, I really agree with a lot of what you said there um you know i think it's it's really important to get feedback and then find out what what things are working and what things aren't working especially from different perspectives i've had a lot of e examples in my career where just going to a couple of people from a certain discipline maybe just going to in engineering you might get one view um but then you know talking to the product manager if there's if there's quality engineering talking to them um understanding all the different aspects um is really important to understand where the team's at and a good indicator I find is if, if you get alignment, um, if, if you find that a lot of them are saying saying the same thing, that's usually a good indicator at least to kind of know what direction that they're going in. Um, if, if you go to each area and they're all saying different things and that, that can be a bit of a bit of a bit of a red flag. Um, and I think it's really critical to do that. Um, and it's also worth considering how long has the team been together? Um, is, is it a new team? Are there a bunch of new people or has, has the team been there, been there a long time? Um, and I think there's, yeah, there's, there's a lot of different things that you have to um, consider to work out what you kind of want to define as, as sort of mature. Alex, did you have something to comment on there too? Absolutely. Um, so look, I think we've all been into this situation and uh, maybe I can tell you what I've had success with uh, in the past coming into these ones and um, what you were uh, raising, Dion, to me it sounds like it's uh, an observability uh, probably you just joined into a new organization and you want to have this holistic view of everything and uh, similar to you had a lot of success chatting with just everyone and really putting the effort to actually meet everyone, uh, which, you know, some departments that uh, don't do this uh, over a few weeks, like <laughs> it's actually <laughs> taking a, a full month or more. Um, but that does serve to purpose, right? You are getting this holistic view and you're also investing into those relationships, which will be serving you later on when you want to drive the engineering vision of what good looks like. Because I find that even when you are uh, speaking with everyone and asking them what they think uh, could be improved or what are their pain points, um, Sometimes you would still have some struggle to, um, uh, like, they may not know what good look like still. And there's going to be a point, right, where you're going to eventually, okay, I've got all of this information. Uh, this was not raised, but I can see coming from a different uh, place that this is something that we should really get on top of. And that could be, for example, for the streamlining of deliveries. Uh, something else that I've had success with, and actually that's something that I'm currently implementing, uh, at medical director is just about the, there's some tools for having a look at uh, some, I guess, deterministic metrics and quantified metrics. I'm gonna give you an example without saying any brand name, I suppose. Uh, we've got a few teams at medical director and there's one team, everyone kind of knows that they are performing better than the other ones, but it's very difficult to 
measure that. We wrote that thing uh, and actually we saw it like a couple of weeks ago. Oh, okay. This team indeed is performing better and this is what they are doing best. So for example, they are jumping on PRs much faster than the other teams and the quality of their reviews is higher on average than the other teams and they're also faster. Although they could improve into the time that it takes for coding, I can notice that they are a little bit like take a bit more time for coding than uh, the other teams, but all in all, this is what is probably making them perform better than the other ones. Um, so yeah, that has had a lot of success for me, I guess. Hope you guys can take a bit of it too. Yeah, Dan, what's been your experience there? Yeah, I couldn't agree more with with, with all the things you're saying, uh, especially, yeah, maybe keen to pick your brain a little bit, um, Alex, around some of the tooling that you've seen uh, and, and leverage because, yeah, you're spot on. Like teams that, that can submit PRs quickly in review. We were actually just having a conversation today in our team around like what makes a good code review. And that, although that may sound trivial, like as the challenge that we've probably all seen a lot of is especially as teams grow, you add a new individual to a team, it can change the culture of a team, hopefully for the better. And you've constantly got to be working through and upskilling and onboarding your individual, on the people in your team around, yeah, what is our definition of done? What is, what is our code review process? Um, while still giving the teams that autonomy to sort of evolve that in a way that makes the most amount of sense for them because the makeup of every team is a bit different so yeah stay tuned for a bit of a message after the after the uh, podcast and i'll find out what that tool was i've got a suspicion <laughs> but i don't know how much money i'd put on it in case i'm wrong all right let's uh let's uh, let's do that yes good idea yeah and i think in addition to that like one of the one of the things that i've sort of seen in in teams is you generally get like there's there's people on the side of they want to ship fast and they want to get get things out really, really quickly. And then you've got the other side that, that are really focused on engineering excellence and making sure that everything's really perfect before you get it, get it out. And I've seen examples of really effective and mature teams that have both. I've seen some that are um, that have are probably more swayed towards one or the other. I'm curious to get get some of your experiences about how you how you sort of what are the effective teams that you found um, in 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 that area? Awesome. Uh, do you mind if I go first on this one? Go for it, okay. Alex. So that echoes very well with uh, yeah some uh, some findings. Actually, we have uh, some specific names uh, for this. We are there's either the the golden thread type of teams, which will be the ones which are coming with something very small and then iterate on top of it, the fast shipping one, I suppose, and the perfect little boxes type of teams, which try to really have each of their individual boxes excellent before shipping the full thing. Um, from my experience, uh, I think you you put uh, your finger on it. The best teams are the ones which can have both, but be have some judgment call about it, right? Um, we want to be excellent in terms of the quality of the product we ship, but we also want to ship often. Shipping often also increases that quality because you get verification over it way faster, right? Um, if I had to pick between one of the two, though, I would probably go with the one that is uh, shipping often as opposed to the perfect little boxes. Just overall, I tend to think that this one delivers uh, value and still like the, the trade-off that there is makes me to, to, to go towards the, the golden thread one as opposed to the perfect little boxes. But, you know, different organizations could work differently. I suppose if um, uh, there's 
uh, a requirement on, on the quality to be absolutely robust uh, in, into the product that you guys are working on, then the perfect little boxes could also be a good one. It's just delivering value less often, I suppose. That, that was for me. Thanks, Alex. Yeah. So, Chuck, it really, in my view, it depends a little bit on how, like, if you want to ship off and, like, yeah, do you have the capabilities within your teams to be able to deploy those capabilities to a subset of users? 1%, 5% where you can take the risk of the quality not being great, um, but know that you can roll back and, and not have a, a dramatic customer customer impact, which again, um, that is not trivial to do, right? But that's sort of what weighs up in my head with different teams on how you can do it. But yeah, it is a case by case based on your organization's risk appetite. Yeah, awesome. I think, yeah, moving on. Thanks everyone for the contribution. Move on to another really important question, which is actually put forward by David as well, um, which is in regards to remote leadership. So how do you detect issues that might be impacting the team before things escalate? If you wanted yeah. to kind of elaborate on that as well, David, if you've got any inputs there. Yeah, so I, I guess where I'm coming from with, with, with this topic is um, obviously with, with COVID, um, things have changed in terms of, um, in, in particular, um, leadership. And um, I definitely, when when we were in the, in the office every day, there were things that I would notice, um, interactions between team members, um, leadership styles across different, different teams, how, how cross-team collaboration is working, are, are people talking to each other, are they very, very much siloed? Um, th those sorts of things, a lot of those things that I would look for um, are now a lot harder to harder to do with, with remote teams. So yeah, keen to ask the group and um, see how how you've sort of adjusted um, in that scenario. That's a good one too. Uh, <laughs> I go first. Um, there's a few things, right? Because obviously we are leading teams and we're not to the closest of what's going on, right? I think it's fair to say that you'd have uh, a squad leader, which is uh, supervising um, the actual squads, which is where you want to, you know, if something is happening, it's, it's at the squad level. So there's obviously this sort of level. Um, I would say that there is definitely a component about investing in the relationship with those squad leads and empowering them. It's uh, it's difficult for us, obviously, because of that distance, but uh, it's a little bit less difficult for the squad leads, which are involved into the stand-ups every morning, right? And if we also give them the appropriate tooling, I would say, to um, confirm that what how they think things are going are actually how they are going, then that's already a great step forward to make sure that things are going the way they should be going. <laughs> that's a very convoluted thing to say, but I guess uh, it's the same tool that I was referring to earlier. So uh, again, not saying it, uh, but um, <laughs> that tool, um, I guess, uh, start to become more and more of a fan of it as uh, as I'm, I'm speaking, but basically would give uh, this uh, vision to our uh, squad leads to make sure that their perception is um, like they get some sort of confirmation of their perception. And if they don't have that confirmation, then that's when it's the right moment to raise questions about, hey, do you need help about that thing? Or uh, I was expecting this to be finished by now. What has happened? Or things like this. Hey, Dion, you wanted to jump in? 
Well, I was going to say you could just keep dropping little subtle hints throughout the podcast and see who guesses the right tool at the end. I'm willing Price to play that end. game. Love it. Yeah. We'll hand out a few bit of free crypto from SwiftX maybe for the winner. But, uh, oh, tempting. Look, yeah, I do love crypto um, when it goes up. But yeah, David, it's a great question, right? It's like, I think we all used to love being a fly on the wall in the office, right? Just listening in. Um, and it is so hard in a remote situation. And minus the standard stuff around like skip meetings and one-on-ones, like probably the thing I've had the most um, success with is like finding those cross-cutting roles, so like whether they're a delivery lead or if you've got product management that maybe floats across multiple teams, depends on the organization, finding those roles and I'm building like strong relationships with them and always and continually picking their brains around what are you seeing? What are the pain points you're seeing? Like what's working, what's not working? Because they have a typically a non, it's opinionated, but they're not sort of biased typically to a certain team. So they're sort of my like eyes and ears, whereas um, definitely working with your direct reports, if they're the squad leaders or engineer managers, gives great insight too. But I love those sort of cross-cutting, cross-cutting roles. We're also a bit fortunate. At this, you know, I've only been at SwiftX for about, two months so pretty recent as well but they run a um a little pulse check survey that goes out group wide it's about takes about two to three minutes to fill out um for every single team member and it's about four questions and it's just a bit of a rating from one to ten how are you feeling around certain aspects of the company um yeah, great. and those insights go to the manager the leader um anonymous literally every two weeks you're just getting a bit of a pulse check to see how things are trending and then you can start conversations um if you want, that was been quite insightful for me um, over the last few weeks to understand how things are things are playing out. Yeah, have you guys had similar sort of kind of thing at your work at all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have a similar thing where we sort of very regularly have a, a survey, and it goes in in you know quite a bit of detail. Um, and then uh, we get together as a leadership team and sort of go through every aspect of, of what's changed, has it gone down, has it gone up, um, compare it to the industry average. Um, I think think those those things are really uh, critical and, and especially in in sort of the, the remote world world where you don't necessarily see, see the things um, first up. And, yeah, um, you know, like I think it's also, like you said, like those those you said down about the, the the floating sort of sort of people they're great people to ask and, and get feedback um because they do look at they might look at one team and then they might look at another team and how the interactions are going and, and they do a bit of a comparison but it's it's good to just get that feedback um and i think it's also you know i, I think with think things moving to more peer feedback i think is is, is having more of an impact as well um because yeah i have um you know, I've heard of scenarios where, you know, if, if you join as like the, the, the senior leader to a, to a meeting, they sort of like people know that you're there and the interaction sort of changes and you kind of want to not be there, but you want to know what's happening. Um, so, yeah, it, it is a little bit of a tricky one. For sure. Did you have anything else to comment there as well, Alex? Uh, no, that makes all sense. Actually, the floating one uh, blows my mind a little bit. I didn't think about it, so... <laughs> Thanks. It's <laughs> good. Something to take away. <laughs> yeah. No, perfect. I guess, yeah, has anyone got anything more to kind of comment on regarding remote leadership or otherwise we can move on to Alex's question? Sure thing. Yeah, uh, cool. Do you want to enunciate it or do you want me to enunciate <laughs> it? 
<laughs> yeah, so I know you something that you're quite passionate about is the responsibilities of a tech lead role. So I'm sure you'll give us a little bit of context around that topic and then yeah. we can jump into a bit of a discussion. Yes, so I guess this one comes a little bit from a wish on myself to uh, understand how it works into other organizations uh, on that matter. Um, if we take the engineering department in its, in its entirety, um, I find the uh, tech lead or squad lead or engineering manager role to be quite fascinating um, on multiple levels, right? It's obviously um, very much a, um, a role that in terms of a career progression is critical to whoever just joins into that role. It can be a make or break uh, sort of role for, for those people uh, and, you know, ourselves as because we're coaching leaders, we obviously are very much involved with them and we want them to uh, to make it as opposed to breaking it. And something that I've been seeing a lot in, uh, in I guess, all the organizations I've been in is that there would sometimes be some problems which have to do with the scope of responsibility of this role. Uh, because we ask a lot of things from them. Um, we ask them to be uh, technical experts, to really drive the quality and the implementation of uh, our software. We also ask them to be people leaders because, uh, you know, they meant they're leading a team. Uh, so there's going to be all of the agile ceremonies could fall into them. The pace of the work could fall onto them. Um, the career progression of the team could fall into them as well and, and the growth of its team. So there's a lot there, I guess. it. Yeah, they're managing up and down as well. Now that I think about it, there's so much into that role, right? That's what makes it so fascinating. And I think um, I came to this realization about uh, five years ago that the best performing team that we had in the company that I, that I was in would be the ones where this um, leader was joined with a very, very strong senior developer. Not any senior developer, but a senior developer that would actually have some leadership capacities and would lead by example pretty much for the rest of the which would alleviate a little bit of the load from the lead if that makes sense and i came to this and realizing oh actually maybe the model that i should try moving on is separating the two and having a tech lead and a team lead tech lead would be leading by example on the tech matters and the team lead would be more of a, a people person, I suppose, which would also have a good, a great knowledge on the tech so that the two of them can have some substantial discussions. Um, but yeah, it just looks like the, the squad lead role, if they are the only ones and there's no one to help them into, into visit, it's just too much for one person. So I guess that's what I wanted to, to check with you guys. If you had similar uh, observations or how you've been handling these things to, uh, to mitigate all of the load that we put on this role, I suppose. Yeah, thanks so much, Alex. And I think David, you wanted to comment on something there. Yeah, yeah, that's a really interesting um, topic because, yeah, as, as you said, um, the engineering manager role, the tech lead role, the team lead role, um, they're all slightly different in a way and it, it sometimes depends on, depends on the organisation as well. Um, and I do find, like, I've, I've seen a few of these different scenarios. I think I've worked on worked a company with every single permutation of, of, of this sort of setup. Um, I certainly see pros and cons of each. Like when you've got a team lead and a tech lead and being, I've been in the team lead side and I've also been on the tech lead side. Um, and I have seen where 
sometimes for, for the engineers working in the team, it can be a little bit tricky who to ask about something, um, the right person to go to about the right thing. Um, and sometimes, you know, the tech lead and the team lead might not have the same opinion on, on, on the same thing, which, which can lead to a little bit of confusion. But on, 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 another, on another aspect, you, you do also have that nice separation where, you know, you've got someone that's helping you with your career and you've got someone that's helping you on the, on the technical side. But, um, you know, it, 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 it is, they are slightly different roles. And um, I do think a lot of people that actually don't go, like haven't gone into one of those roles before, they actually, they tend to un, uh, misunderstand what, what is actually going to be required when they go into one of those roles. Um, like a lot of people might think, you know, I'm just going to define architecture and then just get the team to go off and, and build it for me. But um, <laughs> a lot of it, you're dealing with a lot of different problems and, you know, they're, they're not always the, the fun problems that you get to deal with. Um, but, yeah, I, I definitely think it's really interesting in, in setting up the right sort of team setup that, that works for each company because everyone's a little bit different. For sure. D Dion, you've got something to say there as well. <laughs> oh, it's a great question because it's like it, it could one day turn into the holy war, right? Because like um, tabs versus spaces, because there isn't really a right or wrong answer. But I have personally seen a bit of a, maybe just the companies I was talking to recently, like a bit of a trend to yeah, definitely splitting out the tech lead and engineering manager roles. Um, I know where I was at previously, like one of the biggest challenges we were facing when that role, sort of what you were saying, Alex, was just so bombarded. The squad lead was responsible for as everything that you just said, leadership, technical direction, career growth of the team, coding, and wow. it was too much. And what the gaps that we were noticing was they then just focused in on their current squad. And then a lot of the sideways communication between the different squads wasn't happening, not because they didn't want to, but just because they didn't, didn't have the time. Um, and that was a really sad, um, sad, uh, sad symptom. And then so we started to roll out tech lead roles and, and engineering manager roles, uh, exactly what you're saying, where you've got like sort of the tech lead role that's really responsible for, they're still hands-on, but responsible for the technical direction um, and guiding the team and getting input from the team, whereas the engineering manager was very much focused on the people side, career growth, but the engineering practices, like looking at practices that work well to make the teams more effective. And that division has worked, but I totally get it in different organisations. It, it may not work. It depends on the sort of, evolution of where it's at but also gave um really good uh, career pathways right i see pathways up to the senior to tech lead and to principal engineer whereas the engineering manager management pathway goes into engineering manager group engineering manager head of engineering etc so mm -hmm. i like the separation personally because it it gives a bit more headspace mental capacity but i'm saying that there's probably a size you've got to be at in an organization for it to also make sense right if you've got four people in an engineering team it maybe is overkill no doubt. That's similar to what you've been saying, Alex. I think uh, yeah, we're exactly on the same page. Um, and uh, what you just said echoes very well with uh, what I'm currently implementing and what I had success with in the past as well. So, yep. I'm glad I'm not the only one who has <laughs> seen it. It's still very confusing when hiring for a tech lead and explaining what we mean within our organization. And um, so that's why I was like, Am I the only one doing this? Am I, am I totally <laughs> wrong? But no, okay. It does look okay. like, uh, uh, yes. <laughs> we no, are. It's, 
common understanding. <laughs> <laughs> thanks. No, thanks for that, Alex. It was a great topic to bring up. And I'm going to throw in one more question that I know David actually was keen to ask because I think it's super relevant given the current challenges within hiring at the moment. And just sort of around how has everyone adjusted, how they bring in people without compromising the team's culture. So, David, as I know, it's something you're quite passionate about. I'll get you to start off with your thoughts. Yep, cool. Thanks, Mara. Um, yeah, so obviously, um, you know, the last couple of years, hiring um, has been a massive challenge for everyone. I'm no, I've got no doubt you guys are going, going through the same same sorts of, sorts of challenges. And um, yeah, like, I, I personally, um, in, in the teams that, that I, I've ran, we've definitely had to adjust the types of roles that we've looked for. Like, you can't just go go out and say, you know, I need a senior engineer. That's that's the only thing that I can look for, um, because you you might be waiting a long time. Um, it, it's it's really hard to find f find the the right person for your team, and and you also want to make sure that they they fit fit the team's culture as well, um, and and making sure that you're not compromising and making sure that you're getting the right people, um, but you also have to have to grow as well so um yeah I, I thought that was a really interesting um really interesting area and yeah keen to get some perspectives from, from you guys yeah Alex have you had any kind of obviously new to medical director but any experience in what you've done yeah all right let me think a little bit about it um throwing everyone on the spot here <laughs> yeah oh dion if you want to go i can i can fill you in think about it um, yeah thanks <laughs> just having it it's a great topic and i don't think any of us have the, the actual real solution because i don't think there is one but i can tell you what we tried and what didn't work <laughs> over yeah, the last awesome. year we um well there's two things <clears throat> what we had tried we were um sort of maybe 18 months ago we were needing as pretty much every company needs more engineers so we started to look at um different different um, cities around the world where our product was being offered to sort of spin up some remote teams, still embed them into our organization, um, still part of our team um, to try and tackle talent around the world. Um, now we were, the challenge is there, it was a nasty surprise after multiple different cities, we noticed the exact same problem that we were facing in, in Australia, right? Like it was mm -hmm. just as hard to find talent in New Zealand, Philippines, Vietnam, Singapore, like which is where our products were. Um, so that was, it was a terrible surprise actually for like well where is the talent and we just came <laughs> to the the idea that there's just more roles than ever existed in the past and we're all facing challenges we did find some um some cities where um salaries were even just like considerably more expensive than um in the us and australia which is also surprising um in pretty awesome locations in the world that i would uh i would like to work in so that was where we struggled so <laughs> i'm not saying it doesn't work it can work we just it, we we still got it to work it just took the same amount of time to recruit as it did in um in in australia yeah, um okay. probably the one thing that we've evolved a little bit for a one percenter was just adjusting our in offering many different pathways for the interview process like trying to keep it really short really sweet under a, a few days like, let's say under a week if they can they can go that fast offering different ways to do the interviews like different types of technical interviews different types of whiteboarding and giving the candidate the opportunity to choose what worked for them um, and yeah, we would just cool. accommodate them and that has helped a little bit but it's a one percenter it's not a 50 percenter it's still ridiculously Work hard in progress yeah, yeah for sure alex have you got what anything if i come now yeah i do yeah. <laughs> right, so I've come back to it's your me, time <laughs> 
<laughs> um, all right, so look, um, actually in terms of uh, finding uh, the right candidates, which has been becoming quite difficult, I feel like uh, there was a time maybe when um, you would have some senior engineers who would have worked in the industry for a long time, but not really growing into their role, but it was good enough, I suppose, but this is not good enough, right? We are very much looking for engineers now who uh, know their theoretical knowledge very well. You know, they, they're on par with the design patterns, they're on par with solid. You, you want these sort of very, very talented people to join your company. Um, so unfortunately it's been very difficult to find them, but one thing that we've been doing was to, as you were mentioning, Dion, changing a little bit our uh, interview process, trying to actually make it as small as possible. We dished away the uh, take home assignment. We don't do that anymore. We did not like it. Candidates do not, do not like it either. So we just removed this. Instead, we've put some pair programming exercise, which is extremely simple during the interview. We just ask them to clone a repo before the interview, I suppose. And then there's 20 minutes of uh, pair programming. And we can see there if we're talking the same language, right? If they are uh, comfortable using Visual Studio and have their shortcuts set and, and everything is fine. So that, that has been very, uh, very good for us because we wanted to spend as little as possible identifying the right candidates because we knew that we were going to have to interview a lot of candidates before finding the right ones, if that makes sense. That's one thing. When it comes to the culture as well and how you onboard these people into your teams, um, I've been uh, having some success with something that we call cell uh, division. <laughs> makes sense. It's very easy. Uh, it's, it just means that we do not spin brand new teams. Instead, we add new members into an existing team until they reach this critical mass, at which point we split the teams into. Uh, what this does is that hopefully, and because this um, uh, flow of new people is not that high as we would like it to be, people have time to get on board into a team, learn the ways that the team is working. And usually you want to take your more successful team, by the way, just uh, so that uh, those <laughs> or see the best ways of doing that you have into your company. Um, and yeah, and that leads to eventually you get two of this team, which has been very successful. In theory, that's how it's meant to work. And, you know, it seems to be working pretty well for me so far. So that's how I've been, I suppose, keeping the culture uh, onto that aspect. Does that answer your question, David? Yeah, yeah, it does. Um, thank you for that. Like it's, I think we're sort of all on the, on the same page in terms of like the interview process has got to be really quick. Like, you, like it needs to be in depth enough um, so you can evaluate a candidate. But you've really got to streamline it down. You can't can't be saying to candidate, you know, you, you might be interviewing for you know four other companies. Here's our coding test. Um, spend ten hours and come back to us when you're ready. Um, like you, you're not going to get a response that way. Um, and yeah, I, I really, really like, like your idea of, um, embedding, um, people in, into an existing team, um, and, and building the culture that way. Cause I think that's, that's really important just to, um, you can, you can end up in, in, again, with, with the, with the COVID world, like you can end up with, like, if they're only working in their team, um, they can tend to be a little bit isolated from the, the rest of the teams because they're not physically seeing them. Um, like they're going to their team stand-ups, their team sprint planning or, or, or whatever ceremonies that they're doing, um, but they're not actually seeing how the rest of the teams interact. So, yeah, I think, think that's a really, really cool, cool idea. 
No, thanks everyone. Sorry for jumping in that curveball with the extra question, but I was keen to hear your thoughts. But we'll leave it there for now. And I just want to say a big thanks to Dion, David and Alex for joining me on the podcast today and providing such great insights, which surround such relevant topics um, for today's senior managers on building high performance teams. So thanks everyone for listening and we'll see you next time on the installment of the Evolution Exchange.